Bueno, mi gente, that's just a, it's a shout out to my boy Roberto Kennedy. He's a softball pro, um, producer. He uh, produces tournaments out in Florida. He's got the softball, Florida Softball Association, something of Florida. I don't know. But uh, he's funny, man. Roberto Kennedy is a Puerto Rican cat. And he always says that. But I mean, he's good, he's good times. Well, anyway, my people, this is the uh, third, third, yes, the third published uh, episode of uh, Caught Stealing with E. Marquez. The thing is, uh, the second episode, see, I'm, I'm, I'm torn by that word episode. I need to change it and I will change it. I'm thinking saga, or I'm thinking, you know, something else. I'll find something else. But this is my third login, or my third entry. And uh, this one will have more. Uh, today we'll be discussing more of football stuff. We're going to be discussing stadiums, um, Deion Sanders. Um, I might throw in a segment with... Uh, uh, football card collecting. If you're not into football card collecting, which I understand a lot may not be into it, it is an underground world. But it's not, it's not shady. It's run by some. It's it's it's. There is a lot of shady characters in it, and I'll be straight up. Those people think differently, and if you think about the concept, you're getting a picture of a person who plays football on a cardboard on a cardboard slip and that is supposed to have some kind of value to it so I give the card companies a lot of credit they're trying to make it valuable but I'll get into more detail with that I might even have a uh, a segment with my cousin who's probably I can probably argue that he is the best and the most knowledgeable card collector in the whole city of Chicago. And I don't care about all these other guys that are self-proclaimed, know-it-alls, whatever. I don't I don't care. They want they're in it for the money. My cousin is not. My cousin is actually he has a philosophy and he has a thought about how to collect cards and the value and how to put value to it. And his knowledge of the card is just uncanny. It's just natural ability. That he's developed over the 25 years of collecting cards. Um, he knows his stuff. And I'm telling you, he is the foremost information. He is the foremost knowledgeable person on football cards, baseball cards, basketball card collecting, any kind of card collecting, sports cards collecting in the city of Chicago. So I'll probably put a segment in here with him. If not, he'll be in the future. Just to discuss cards, I'll ask him a series of questions and you'll hear what he says and and we'll talk about different things of it. But uh, you'll get some of that here. You'll get some of, um, it'll be football intensive. I'm going to get a watch along in here soon. I might, I might do the LSU Alabama watch along tomorrow, but it might be later because 
Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough time. I'm not going to sure if I'm going to be alone to be able to do it. I know I got an event to go to. And if I can sneak it in and do the watch along while I'm at at that event, I'll probably get it in. So, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, You know, continue to listen. You know, do your thing. Don't mind me. Let me just uh, carry you on through the day and, you know, get you some entertainment and some information about the sports world and maybe some random some random uh, inserts here and there. Well, there you go. That sounds like what episodes should be called, inserts. This is my third insert. Yeah, I like that. Third insert. Okay, yep. I'll call it inserts. Sounds good. All right, buds. Well, I will stay tuned. To be really interesting is how many people put so much blame on coaches. Yeah, we we probably have the five worst collection of coaches in our big in our in our programs in our in our sports teams here in Chicago. Uh you got the White Sox and Renteria. You got the Blackhawks in Collington. You got the Bears in Nagy. You got the Cubs in an unproven Ross. You got the Bulls with this boiling character. I mean, they're probably the worst five collectively or going bad. I mean, I I, I still believe in Nagy, uh, but, but that's really, that's losing its luster fast. But what I don't understand is... For years, I mean, for decades, you hear the coach got nothing to do with the success of the team. The coach in baseball, the manager, is worth four, four, four games, which is crap to me. And then in basketball, the coach doesn't matter. Look who, who wins championships. It's the players, it's not the coach. Now all of a sudden, Jim Boylan is proving that a, a decent coach would get things done. Then in, in, in hockey... It's so hard to see the value in what coaches do. But Joe Quinville is a legend for a reason. Uh, I go back to this. Organizations wins championships. And that's what happens. You got the White Sox and the Bulls in the same organization. The White Sox and the Bulls have the same ownership. They have the same structure. They're never going to be a sustained success. They, unless they get a be-all, end-all player... Hence, Michael Jordan, they will never have continuously success each year. They will not. It just won't happen. They might have a breakout year one time, failed year the next time, a break, uh, uh, catch a lightning in a bottle year five years later, but that's it. They're never going to have sustained success because their organization is flawed. And the Cubs are the only decent run organization here of all the sports teams the bears have a problem they have a major problem now ownership with george mccaskey has been better but he needs to put a football guy in charge there he has an accountant and that's ted phillips ted phillips is the one calling the shots hiring general managers and helping general managers he's actually in the room with that general manager hiring their coaches, he's got no business being in there. He's not a football guy. 
And meaning, when you're not a football guy, you're not being respected by other football guys. You're not being respected in the industry because you're just a suit. You're just ownership. You're just higher executive. That's it. You're not anything else. You're respected amongst your peers in the ownership level, but you're not respect or your or the higher uh, organization executive level. But where it matters the most on the field, you're just not respected. So what they need to get is they need to get a NFL football personnel person being that president to run the operation. In hockey, Stan Bowman got in there because of his dad. This is a bottom line. This is a bottom line business. His dad is um, the great, uh, I forget his first name, but is the great coach, Scotty Bowman. And he, Levin Stanley Cups, built all these championship teams. And <clears throat> Stan Bowman is just, it's, it's, it's nepotism. He got in there because of his dad. And he had his dad being his advisor for so long. Now his dad is no longer doing that. And he's doing everything. And he's showing to be just awful at his job. But look at what, look at what they did in, in the Blackhawks, um, for the Blackhawks. The Rocky Wards ownership went out and got a great president in McDonough. McDonough's not a hockey guy, so he went out to get a hockey guy. And their hockey guy was Scott, Scotty Bowman. Scotty Bowman's got his son. And then, therefore, they're starting up their operation. But Scotty Bo- um, Stan Bowman is the problem. He's the issue here. So there you have a system, an organization system, that can be turned around. But... Bowman has to go. He's just not good enough, and he's not putting the pieces around. And then firing Quinville, the way he fired Quinville to put this young guy in who is lost. He's lost. He has no he has no respect from these veterans who won three Stanley Cups and who are the core of the team. He, they, they don't look at him and say, oh, this guy's got the problems. We're the one that won the three Stanley Cups, not this guy. So, again... And that's what it comes down to. Cubs have their organization in place. But I find it funny that it's the coach's blame now. And it's not the players. The players don't take accountability. Well, to me, the general manager puts those players on the roster. And that's what's going on. That's the bad part. Scott, I I always thought, I've, I've been on record in saying that for years, that John Paxson should be the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. But I understand why Paxson doesn't want to do it. He has no interest in doing it, but he is, he is the coach. He should be the coach, but he's got a, he's got a great position. He's not doing a great job. He's got Gar Foreman doing something for him. I don't know what exactly it is, but he's doing something. But John Paxson could go go and come as he please. Doesn't have to talk to media. He has, he has a great situation being the president of the Bulls, but again, He should be the coach of the Bulls. Regarding Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky. There's a way to play quarterback in the NFL, and then there's ways that you, you know, there's this generic way that they, they, they say that this is what, this is how you play quarterback. I've noticed some things going on with technique and form and different nuance that other quarterbacks use. If you watch Jimmy Garoppolo play for the San Francisco 49ers, 
He's almost got a dead leg. So his front leg, when he's dropping back, it's almost like sliding on the ground. It looks like it's just set on the ground. I, I connect that to a hitter having his front foot down, ready to swing. This is a technique that I use in, in softball because the fast pitch softball is so fast. You don't have a chance to, you know, some guys still do it to this day. They'll pick up, they'll, they'll get a big leg kick and try to take the ball 500 feet when there's not even fences in these fast pitch softball games. But what you do is you have your front foot down. So your front foot is basically already set. So in a set, in a, in a, in a situation where you go ready, set, go, three steps, ready, set, go. If you're a sprinter, if you're a batter, if you're a pitcher, ready, set, go is always going. Well, in this position, it's set, go. So you already have, you already have ready down. So you're putting it down. You, you already have your front heel, your front foot locked in. And you're just turning your hips, turning your back leg, and swinging through the ball. You've seen that a lot with the Nationals in the playoffs. This, it was their two-strike approach. Well, Jimmy Garoppolo does very similar. He does it very similar in football where he's got that front leg already down because he wants to get rid of the ball quickly. And a lot of his power for his arm strength is coming from his back leg. So he's just getting rid of the ball quickly. So I wonder if you're going to see a lot more quarterbacks add that in. The other, the another thing that they're doing is a lot of quarterbacks, including the great including the great Aaron Rodgers, are using different angles to release the ball. There was a clip several weeks ago that Aaron Rodgers actually practiced. He actually throws a couple balls pregame sidearm. He throws it off, the, off his shoulder. He throws it underneath his shoulder sidearm away from his body. So these guys are practicing that. Uh, Mahomes does it really well. I seen Lamar Jackson do it last Sunday. I see Russell Wilson do it. But the one thing, I mean, Philip River, Philip Rivers looks like he sh he shoots the ball out of his chest, out of his pectoral muscle, muscle, muscle. <laughs> he shoots the ball right out of his pectoral, and it's like, how does he get that ball going 14, 17 yards in the air? But there's different techniques for everybody. But you see these little nuances. And I wonder if those things would help players and quarterbacks like Mitchell Trubisky. Because you see he's got a lot of happy feet. He's bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. I remember when I was learning how to play quarterback back in the day. Yeah, they wanted you on your toes. They wanted you on your toes. But you weren't ready to throw the ball. And in everything now, you see the ball. They want, they want that ball in and out. That's why you used to keep the ball with two hands up by the ear. So then when you're throwing it, it's already locked and loaded. Well, that front leg might be a, a situation where the where the foot is down and the ball's coming out not only quicker, but harder and it's getting to its location faster. It's interesting to see what happens going forward. So I want to look at those things. But those are little techniques that you know you gotta you you get to see and you gotta pick up. If you're into the game like I am, you gotta see these things that happen. 
Uh, and that that's developing quarterbacks, you know. And that that's that's why that's what I look for in the game. So, and now this. At this point, I want to talk to you about Chicago Land Men's Health. It's a testosterone therapy clinic here in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Michael Koff, Dr. Mark Andahar. They've helped me with the process and learning about my testosterone and where I want my testosterone levels to be at, and help me with uh, getting the idea and getting and getting educated on what I needed, I need to do for my own health. And I recommend that you go check them out. Give them a call. Get a blood test at least. Find out where you're at and get the process started. Tell them E. Marquez sent you. And check them out at uh, ChicagolandsMensHealth.com. And the phone number is 312-888-5655. Let them know that E. Marquez sent you. I live in Big Ten country. I'm a Notre Dame guy. Okay, I love Notre Dame football. But what I don't get is how guys that work in the Big Ten network, that they must feel that they have to root for all the teams in the Big Ten. The guys that work in the SEC network, or it's our conference. This is our conference. You got to root for every team in the SEC. That doesn't make any sense to me. You, you're you working in media. You have to see it down the middle. I don't, I don't mind them being, I don't mind them if they picked a game or if they made a, they made a decision or two or three on a certain competition, on a certain game or whatever. They picked one, they picked this team over the other team. Fine. I don't mind that. But like Herb Street on college game day cannot pick the game that he's calling. But yet, everyone there and everyone in the other networks that ESPN funds root for their conference. Jerry DiNardo is a poster boy for it. And I know a lot of you guys don't know who Jerry DiNardo is. Not a lot of people do. But this guy works at the Big Ten Network. And he tells us, in the Big Ten Network, I believe the Big Ten has 14 teams. 12 to 14 teams. I got to run them down. But they have these teams. They have these guys play football every week. And there's 12 games a team. And then they got their conference championship. So Jerry DiNardo really is going to watch about 100, 100 football games maybe. A little bit more than 100 football games. 150 football games around there just for the Big Ten Conference. You can watch six, seven football games a day. No problem. You got the recorder, you got the video recorder, you can analyze this, analyze that. Jerry Donardo doesn't watch no other college football. Doesn't watch Pac-12, doesn't watch Big 12, doesn't watch SEC, doesn't watch S- uh, ACC, doesn't watch Big uh, the Big East, doesn't watch none of them, none of it. Only watches and analyzes Big Ten football. So he'll come on the radio or he'll come, or he'll do a Twitter spot or an interview and say, well, see, I don't know how these teams stack up to the Big Ten because I only watch Big Ten teams. I only watch Big Ten football. And it's like, you don't, you don't, you're, you're a football analyst. You're not, you're not trying to split an atom. You can watch multiple games, bro. Come on. If somebody tells you, oh, man, this Alabama team is really good. I don't think Ohio State is better than this Alabama team. Then it behooves you to go watch an Alabama tape. 
to say, okay, let me go look at it. Let me go find out for myself. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's not, it, it doesn't take no time. You can even have an audio book in the background, listen to yourself on a couple radio shows on the other side, have, an, have Dr. Phil on the other TV and still watch the film. I don't understand. So that, that's what fascinates me the most is that these guys feel like because I work in a Big Ten, I got to say that Big Ten is supremacy. Big Ten is this. Big Ten is the best. Big Ten is it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let's not get carried away. Let's, you know, be logical here. I mean, telling me Big Ten is all this when we know they're not. We know the Big Ten beat, on, beat up on themselves and they'll have some out-of-body games. Like what Michigan did to Notre Dame. Yeah. They pumbled Notre Dame. I'll take the L. But the way they did it, they're using a backup linebacker for a running back, and he went over for 150 yards. That's more Notre Dame's players not being ready to play in a rainy, windy, horrible weather game, and the coaches not preparing Notre Dame to play in that environment, and Michigan taking advantage of it. Michigan probably ran six plays, six different plays all game. And they dominated. And on defense, they did the same thing because Notre Dame didn't make an adjustment. But you see, Michigan is not great. They're going to get pumbled by Ohio State. They they lost, even though they were in a close game against Penn State, they really were never in that game. Wisconsin loses to Illinois. They beat up on each other. And then what happens, they'll use a whole offseason, like they'll use the bowl season, and then they'll beat up on other teams because they prepare. Big Ten coaches prepare better prepare their players to play a game but come on you don't need to be a homer these schools these teams already have homers they already have their own announced guys they already have their own uh tv guys they have their own people that are paid to be homers you're a studio guy you only work for the big 10 you don't need to be a homer bro neon dion being the candidate for the Florida State job, huh? Huh? So you don't need no coaching experience. You don't need. You don't need to know how to run X's and O's. You don't need any of that. So what he's gonna do? He's gonna bring in all his boys from back in the day to be coaches. Man, well, at least Herm Edwards brought in some competent coaches. Some good. Quality NFL coaches. What is Neon Dion gonna do? Wow. Wow. I think I think it's an exciting story because Deion Sanders, the greatest cornerback of all time uh, in the NFL, used to lock down half the field when he played. But I don't think he was much of a leader. We'll see what he does as a coach, but I don't think he was much of a leader. Played on three different organizations. Um, whoo, Atlanta, San Francisco, and Dallas. Neon Dion going to be the Florida State head coach. And it makes sense for Florida State because they're paying... Willie Taggart, the coach that they just fired, 
about 20 million dollars to leave. They're telling Coach Willie Taggart, here you go. Take your money and don't ever step foot in Tallahassee again. 20 million dollars for Coach Taggart. It's crazy. I have a I read an article last week when they announced his firing. And that's not including his coaching staff, which is another million, million, million and a half that they're going to pay. So they got to do something where they have to pay the buyout to Oregon. Then they have to pay Oregon's buyout to South Florida or Central Florida, where Oregon got them from. Then they have to pay $17 million of a buyout. I don't know. It is some mess. Like, it must be so bad over there in Tallahassee that they forked up this kind of money to get this guy out. And it wasn't even him. He wasn't even the, pro the problem. The, the Florida State Seminoles have always been this organization. You know, they... I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie The Program from the 90s. Um, it's a 90s depiction of college football in America. High-level college football. And they basically ran the movie or they sourced their movie out from... The Florida State program, very similar colors, very very similar quarterbacks, uh, very similar star players, stuff like that. And the college football game, I mean, the Florida State program has always been one of those programs that the NCAA looks the other way on. And now it's coming to roost. Do I ever think Florida State is going to get back to prominence? I don't know. But the thing is, let, let's remember, they've only been decent since the 90s. So they don't really have a history. A lot of these teams want to talk about tradition. Their tradition is only about 20 years old. They haven't been around for 100 years, you know, competitive or nas nationally ranked and nationally uh, respected. It's only been several years. So, uh, you know, I watched this show on HBO called uh, College Football 24-7. And Arizona State is on there and uh, Penn State and Florida. You know, you, you've had these programs have been around for a long time, but they really haven't done much until like the 90s. So... College football is still as, as, as traditional as it is because I'm a Notre Dame guy and I know tradition. But it's still very, it's still, you know, basically new. 30 years, 30 years of, uh, of good, competitive, exciting college football. And then before that, you had your traditional powerhouses Nebraska, Notre Dame, uh, Army, Navy, you know, Alabama's been one of those decade and 
multiple decade long traditions. Um, University of Miami is coming in in the 80s. Um, we go up and down the list. Wisconsin is fairly new. Uh, Ohio State's been around. Michigan's been around. Those are multiple decade. Those are, are, you know, almost quarter of a century. No, I'm sorry. Uh, 50, 60 year programs at least. When I talk about long traditions. But Neon Dion going to Florida State. Man. So this is what today is. Today is Whiskey and Wine Fridays. Yes, it is. It's the total opposite of Flashback Fridays. Although, I got to give a shout out to my boy, uh, my my merchandising mentor. Uh, came up with that. He talks about it like he takes him back to the 90s and the 80s because his age is a mystery. But it's uh, Whiskey Wine Fridays. Uh, uh, of course, it's in my collection. There's not in the budget to add two new ones yet. So once I'll start, uh, once I get more support from you guys, I'll bring in total different new ones and maybe even, you know, fancy, fancy, snobbery level new whiskey and wines. But yet, the whole concept is because whiskey and wine go really well. So yeah, you can drink a wine, dry wines, and if you blend it, if you just get a little, it's not. It's like a half a shot. It's half a shot, and you put it in a glass. You put it in a glass of Merlot of Malbec, and of course, not your you know vintage or your your rares. No, but if you do it, it would give it a nice little, like it would get it away from the dry. That's just my opinion. I find it to be a little bit more palatable. I don't like Merlot. Matter of fact, I dislike Merlot. And Malbec, I'll have it with some foods. But Cabernet Sauvignon is my thing. That's my go-to. And I'll have a Syrah and a Shiraz. And I love those. I enjoy those a lot. But I have not thrown a whiskey into none of those because those are already sweet. So maybe if I get a Scotch or if I get a uh, a Jack Daniels type, Jim Beam type, throw it into a sweeter wine, maybe it would work. But I love the car, the Cabernet so much that I I you know I don't need that wine that that whiskey addition. But uh, here you're gonna. You could have your either old fashioned or your Manhattan or your whiskey drink, and then later on have a wine, or you can have them at the same time. You can have your wine there and your because it the, the palate allows for it, and it does. It, it, it's it's a unique combination. I'll tell you this though, you're not gonna be out. You're not gonna be. You're not gonna be on your feet for long. If you have that the whole night, cause uh, it is it is a rough. It, I mean, it, it it comes on you quick. It does come on you quick, and you're not gonna chug it, okay? So don't don't be 10 years old, don't be 15, and think you're gonna chug this, okay? You have to be an adult and understand 
two glasses of each for about a five hour period is probably what you can handle. That's it. I mean, one glass each. And I'm talking about two fingers of the whiskey and a glass of wine. And you're going to be like, yeah, that's nice. That's nice. You're going to feel good. The two elements of Whiskey Wine Fridays are Josh Sellers Cabernet Sauvignon. The price ranges from $10 to $20. If you go to Benny's or if you go to Jewel here, you'll probably hit around the $18, $17 range. If you get it online, you can get it for like $10, $11, $12. Um, the description is pretty good. But my thing, the things that stand out to me is that it is juicy. So you can taste those fruits. You can taste the fruits in it. And I know they're fancy fruits. I mean, stuff like black Angus. I don't know. But it's black, um, black currant Angus. I have no idea. Whatever. It's black currant. I don't even know what fruit that would be. But the roasted almonds and the smoke, you taste it immediately. It's good. It's long-winded and then long finish. It, what, what it has is that it fit. What for me, you, you'll taste it. It doesn't leave a nasty after, after long flavor, long finish. I would mix. I would not mix it, but I would put together. So I would have a Josh wine early in the night, and then I would finish it with a Knob Creek at the end. Or I would have them both together if I'm sitting at home watching. A program i'm having them both together if i'm out and about having dinner the wine first knob creek at the end the knob creek with its siblings being bookers bakers and basil and those bourbons are fantastic it is from a jim bean distillery and they all small small batch bourbons there is a knob creek that goes for about 50 55 bucks and that's the single barrel but the uh, Knob Creek is usually around 28 to about 34 bucks, 38 bucks around there. But it is, it is great. Knob Creek is a bourbon, is a whiskey that you need to have in your, in your whiskey cabinet. So if you put these together, you have a nice night. Remember though, these are, these are items. You're going to put them together. One glass each will suffice. You can go two glasses if you're feeling feisty. But you're going to crash. I'm telling you, you're going to crash. And I'm saying you're going to crash like if you're just on an energy drink. Crash. Not crash a car. But don't drink and drive. Trust me. What you want to do is if you have this five hours in between, six hours in between for four glasses total. Two of the wine, two of the whiskey. You're going to feel great. But this is a long drink. That's why. Whiskey, whiskey Wine Fridays. It's not just to have them real quick. It's not a boiler maker. It's not a, a beer and a shot. It's not. It's not that. It's not a cocktail. These are. This is. This is a moment of elegance. This is a man's. This is an adult's version of meditation. This is what this is. This is meditation at its finest with great tasting booze. So thank you for listening to Whiskey Wine Fridays. This um, this episode has been fun. As you can see, I did two episodes in one day, uh, or inserts. Sorry, guys. But tomorrow, 
Bama LSU. Let me see if I can get that watch along in. And I promise it won't be long. The um, game would probably be three hours long, but my watch along will be about a half hour. No more than that. But thanks again for listening. I am not sure how it's done, how you can subscribe, how can you do all this stuff. I don't know. Just listen, forward, share, you know, hit me up. Um, let me know what you think. The constructive criticism is awesome. You know, you know, uh, this is a program of entertaining information. So thank you.